Freedom Guns is your local gun store for the Rockledge Cocoa area in Brevard County, Florida. Stop in and meet Mike and the gang and see the great deals they have on long guns, handguns, accessories, ammunition, AR build kits, and Liberty safes that come with free delivery and installation. They're located at 1255 Florida Avenue, just north of Rockledge High School. For more information, check them out at freedom-guns.com. Tell them you heard about them on the Shooting Straight Radio podcast. The Shooting Straight Radio podcast is proudly sponsored in part by The Gun Sight in Merritt Island with a nine-lane, 25-yard indoor shooting range, handgun and machine gun rentals, a fully stocked gun store with plenty of long guns, handguns, ammunition, and accessories to choose from. They're your one-stop shop in Merritt Island for all things necessary to responsibly exercise your Second Amendment right. Check them out at gunsightrange.com or stop by in person at 125 South Banana River Drive. And make sure you tell them that you heard about the gun site on the Shooting Straight Radio Podcast. You better believe we're locked and loaded on the Shooting Straight Radio podcast. This is the program all about firearms, the Second Amendment, and all things pertaining thereto. I am Royce, your host, pouring it to you from both barrels with 100% felt recoil and no suppressor at all. Let's dive right on into things. Uh, don't forget, you can go to shootingstraightradio.buzzsprout.com and you can become a uh, so a sponsor. I'm tripping over my tongue already. We just got started. Uh, you can become a sponsor of the Shooting Straight Radio podcast for as little as $3 a month. I'll go ahead and thank you in advance, and I appreciate it. Uh, so many of you have been contributing to this program, and I cannot thank you enough. Uh, let's get into things. I want to, yeah, you hear me all the time talk about the left as a bunch of communists and they are, a lot of them are bold and even admit it. 
uh, but a lot of them in elected positions and a lot of them sitting on uh, court benches as judges, uh, activist judges, are um, very persistent and audacious. And I know you hear me use the word audacious often when describing these people. It's because they are. Uh, I remember seeing uh, Barack Obama's book, The Audacity of Hope. Um, it should have been, been called The Hope of Audacity. But uh, it's, it's definitely something that describes the leftists who are trying to take this country over, trying to take away our rights, definitely the Second Amendment. They fear that one above all else. They also fear the First Amendment because they fear the truth. And whenever the truth is told, they go to great lengths to assassinate the character of the person who told it, especially if it directly affects them. And truth usually does directly affect them because they're a pack of filthy liars. But when they get beat in court, especially in Second Amendment cases, what they usually do is they'll wait a little while and then they'll try the exact same thing again. They've done it many times, especially with assault weapons, bans, and everything else, but they keep throwing things against the wall, hoping that they'll eventually stick. A lot of times they uh, change it a little by revamping the wording a little bit or by coming at it from a different angle, but they will keep beating their heads against it until they get what they want or until they're just crushed so badly that they can't come back. Uh, for instance, it wasn't that long ago that we heard the Democrat communists were trying to have uh, merchant codes for gun sales, for gun stores. And when that got shot down, well, it laid there for a little while. And guess what? Yep, they're trying it again. Yep, a recent article headlined, Senate Democrats Resurrect Merchant Codes for Gun Stores. Shocking. Mm-hmm. Also, remember, well, I, I, matter of fact, I talked about this when I was on WMMB, where a group of Catholic nuns had decided to join the shareholders group for Smith & Wesson with the stated intention of doing it damage, which to me, uh, I, think, I think there's some legal recourse for that. I don't know. I haven't, I haven't dived into that little story yet, but they are back again in the news. An article by John Crump from December 8th titled, ESG investors plan to sue Smith & Wesson over the manufacture and sale of the M&P 15 Sport, which is an AR platform rifle. And here's the article, and I'll generously intersperse it with my commentary as we go, as I am wont to do. According to Fox News, a group of anti-gun stockholders of Smith & Wesson are planning on suing the company for selling the popular M&P 15 rifle that is based on the popular AR-15. Let me just take a little side break here. There's no way in the world this is going to happen. They're going to try it, but it's not going to stick. But you wait, they're going to come at it again because they've already done it once before. This is the second time they've tried this, okay? <clears throat> The shareholders are a part of the environmental, social, and governance movement. Yeah, it's, it's another branch of the Communist Party. The ESG movement pushes companies to be socially conscious and put leftist values ahead of profits. One of the pillars of the ESG movement is gun control. The plaintiffs in the yet-to-be-filed case claims that Smith & Wesson, quote, knowingly allowed the company to become exposed 
to significant liability for intentionally violating federal, state, and local laws through its manufacturing, marketing, and sales of AR-style rifles and similar semi-automatic firearms. Okay, give an instance in which they violated federal, state, or local laws in their manufacturing, marketing, and sales of these rifles. Give, give an instance. What law did they break? It's funny they never they never denote that. See, they think if they give it these high, lofty, moral uh, intentions that someone, they'll find some activist judge somewhere that will agree with them and say, well, you know, while they broke a no law, that we're going to go ahead and make this ruling anyway and give you a gift and basically uh, force Smith & Wesson to sell off a lot of its shares or stop manufacturing AR-15s or the like. So, Explain how they knowingly, knowingly, this is the charge. They knowingly uh, allowed the company to become exposed to significant liability. What liability and how? How are they exposed to liability when they haven't violated any federal, state, or local laws in their manufacturing, marketing, and sales of these rifles? Then they go on to say, the company has not broken any laws and is legally allowed to produce modern sporting rifles such as AR-15. I'm sorry, that was a, uh, a comment from Mr. John Crump and not from the uh, the Sisters of Sanctimony there. Um, the lawsuit even acknowledges that Smith & Wesson has analyzed its potential legal liabilities. Okay, then what's the problem? Still, it claims that the company can be held liable for breaching their fiduciary duties for selling semi-automatic rifles. All right, for the uninitiated who don't understand what fiduciary means, and I'm going to presume that most in this audience do know what it means, but just in case, um, it, it, uh, it's a term that involves trust, uh, especially in regard to say, a relationship between a trustee and a beneficiary or a company and its shareholders, too. Um, companies have a fiduciary duty to their shareholders. And so they. Uh, what that means is there's a level of trust there uh, that the shareholders hold the company in and even vice versa. So I got to ask, how did Smith & Wesson breach the trust of the shareholders when the shareholders knew good and darn well what products Smith & Wesson was selling prior to becoming shareholders. They had ample time to analyze its manufacturing, its marketing, everything else as a smart shareholder would do and should do. So how did Smith & Wesson breach the trust of the shareholders? What trust was violated by Smith & Wesson continuing to do what it's done since the late 1800s. Hmm? These shareholders should be the ones being sued, actually, for intentionally becoming shareholders with the expressed intention of ruining Smith & Wesson from within. And yes, they did indeed express those intentions, and I'll tell you a little bit more about that in just a minute. The article continues by Mr. Crump. The plaintiffs also claim that Smith & Wesson has exposed the company to unnecessary liability. They claim the company's board of directors has turned a blind eye to possible liabilities and failed its fiduciary duties to shareholders. Um, wait a minute. 
they already admitted, the shareholders who are bringing the suit, admitted that Smith & Wesson had uh, considered very carefully their liability signature, and yet they're saying here, Smith & Wesson turned a blind eye to possible liabilities. See, that's the problem with these communists. If you listen to them long enough, they'll contradict themselves every time. So it continues, the plaintiffs claim that the board showed an unwillingness to exercise any oversight whatsoever over the production and marketing of semi-automatic rifles. What oversight do you think is necessary? Or should I say, how much more oversight do you think is necessary, oh, shareholders? Hmm? And what oversight? Do you give any examples of what oversight they should do, that they should perform? Yeah, besides just stop manufacturing guns, that's really what this is all about. You want to try to hurt Smith & Wesson from within and harm them financially so they cannot produce these guns. Of course, you guys always forget that uh, more police officers have these than criminals and more law-abiding citizens have them than police officers and criminals put together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they use theirs for what? Right, for, for good and righteous reasons. Yes, personal defense and the defense of others. Mm -hmm. The article goes on. Two of the plaintiffs, including the Adrian Dominican sisters, are taking their marching orders from Sister Judy Brown, a well-known anti-gun, or should I say anti-rights activist, and Interfaith Center on Corporate Responsibility, or ICCR, member. The ICCR is a mainstay of the ESG movement and pushes for far leftist ideas to outweigh profits for companies. The ICCR recently issued an anti-gun statement that Sister Byron helped to pen. The ICCR blames the NRA for stalling anti-gun legislation in Washington and believes that shareholders should use their power to force companies to voluntarily enact gun control, including halting manufacturing of AR-15s and other semi-automatic weapons. And there it is right there, exactly what I told you. They want them to stop manufacturing these things, and they think if they put enough leverage against Smith & Wesson as shareholders, the Smith & Wesson will capitulate to the shareholders, rather than continue their proud tradition of manufacturing fine firearms, and yes, these firearms being used by many law enforcement officials since Smith & Wesson began manufacturing them, and so they want them to basically, as she said, enact gun control by stopping the production of these guns. Mm-hmm. Uh, why are we not shocked? Nah, I'm not shocked in the least. Um, the ICCR statement said, while we believe that sensible gun control legislation and enforcement, there's no such thing. There's no such thing as sensible gun control legislation. There's already sensible laws that say thou shalt not kill. There's already sensible laws against murder, manslaughter, causing grave bodily injury to another person with a deadly weapon. There's already those laws in place, but somehow you brain jackasses believe 
that if you pass a law about the purchase and use or keeping and bearing of firearms, that somehow that's going to reach into the criminal element, stir them into compliance somehow against the laws of murder also, and voila, boom, biggity, boom, here we go. We've got peace on earth and goodwill towards men because we have common sense gun safety legislation. There's no such thing. There is no such thing. There is no such thing. While we believe that sensible gun control legislation and enforcement is needed to help halt the wave of senseless gun tragedies, progress has been stalled at the federal level in large part to an aggressive NRA lobby. Well, you give the NRA too much credit, and you give no credit to the actual keepers and bearers who send lobbyists from the NRA, and more than that, GOA, who are the no-compromise lobby in Washington, and the Second Amendment Foundation, and the Firearms Policy uh, Coalition, and I, I, can't, I, get, I get their names all jumbled up, I, I know, but there's groups far more active, far more aggressive than the National Rifle Association. Uh, I, I feel that some of these people are going to go so apoplectic, their heads will explode when they finally figure that out. The statement continues, corporations, therefore, have an indirect role to play. No, they don't. Just because you claim that doesn't make it true. They have, they have no role to play in your ESG crap. They have an important role to play both to ensure that they are not indirectly complicit in these lethal events and in advancing the solutions that may help prevent them. No, what their job is to do is to manufacture quality firearms for the lawful, responsible keepers and bearers and the police and military. That's what their job is. You don't get to walk in there as a shareholder and say, well, I'm going to demand that you totally change the focus of your operations to suit our liking as shareholders. Nope. Smith & Wesson has a much greater duty to the Second Amendment than to a bunch of filthy little whining communists who happen to invade the shareholders. They said, while the business case for companies to reduce their exposure to this issue is clear, to whom? Who's it clear to? The moral case for action grows more urgent each day. Really? So Smith & Wesson is somehow immoral for manufacturing guns that lawful people use. Make that make sense somehow. And no, not with idiotic socialist drivel. Are you blathering idiots actually saying that Smith & Wesson, because some of their weapons have fallen into evil hands, have some sort of responsibility to see to it that they don't? How? How? I mean, you, you guys tell them, you give a blanket statement as to what you'd like to see happen, but you come up with no original ideas at all. You want Smith & Wesson to figure it out for you, too. And then to come up with all these ideas and then say, here, does this fit your little silly agenda? We therefore ask companies to carefully reflect on how their operations, business relationships, supply chain policies, marketing practices, and public voices might be used to counter gun violence and foster safe communities. Okay, um, how about an example from you oh-so-smart activist, huh? I notice you never recommend any solutions other than an outright ban on things that you don't like. 
And for those of you that don't realize this, this is a way for the communist movement to literally take over the gun industry. That's really what they want to do. That's, that's the bottom line. So they can arm themselves and, you know, of course, keep guns out of our hands so we can't fight back. So little miss, uh, sister Byron is definitely using money from the Adria Dominican sisters in order to push her anti rights ideas. Um, back in 2018, she reared her little ugly head when she was, um, uh, bellowing about the Marjorie Stoneman Douglas shooting. And we know what happened, uh, during that, I'm not going to rehash it, but during that time, she said, I am going to change the system. And shortly after that, they were buying shares in Smith and Wesson. Mm -hmm. Um, with this here lawsuit, not to mention her past statements, her past actions and everything else, uh, she is indeed, uh, using the money from the Adrian Dominican sisters and other, uh, heavy hitting influence from elected officials and such too, because they love this lady. This is probably the only Catholic the FBI likes. Um, sister Byron told NBC after that Marjorie Stoneman Douglas shooting, she said, when I say that I've always been interested in social justice, it isn't just to know about it and be aware of it, but to bring about change and bring about justice. And we're looking to change the system. Really? You are? Then why are you not going into the streets to demand that the criminals change rather than the gun manufacturers who are not breaking any laws and they're maintaining compliance with many unconstitutional laws just to do things above board? But you won't go talk to the criminals. No, you won't go ask them why they do drive-bys. You won't go ask them where they're buying the fully automatic Glock switches that they're doing the drive-bys with. You won't go to and, and, and track that pimp down that's beating his hookers and or shooting them or whatever, you know, whatever else they're doing and ask them why they're doing that, why they don't change their criminal actions. No, your approach is to speak, is to speak about lawful, responsible gun manufacturers as if they are the problem and they bear some sort of criminal culpability. You people are so bass backwards. I don't think you can see the light of day. You're blinder than bats coming in backwards and you've been blinded by your Marxist ideology. Why do you idiots actually claim that it's Smith and Wesson's fault that criminals and murderers are criminals and murderers. Are y'all really that stupid? That was a rhetorical question, of course. Now, it says, although the lawsuit does involve current shareholders, the vast majority of Smith & Wesson's investors stand against the demands of the ICCR members. Okay, remember what I said earlier, though. Don't think that they won't bring this back up again and again and again. Because these Marxists, these communists, these socialists, these ESG wackos, as I said, they are audacious and persistent, if nothing else. Keep that in mind. And we'll be right back with a little bit more shooting straight. Don't go anywhere because the listener retention squads are on standby. Be right back.
The Police Hall of Fame and the United States Law Enforcement Foundation, where bold vision and hope align to create a better tomorrow for all law enforcement and the communities they serve by strong advocacy, hard and soft skills training and education, and their many programs of compassion. To learn more, please go to uslef.org or aphf.org. Sicario's Gun Shop. Buy, sell, or trade firearms. Purchase Class 3 NFA items. Custom builds, gunsmithing, and cleaning. Liberty Gun Safes. Sicario's Gun Shop fully supports our military and law enforcement. Visit online at sicariosgunshop.com or in person at 5325 North Wickham Road, Suite 105 in Melbourne, Florida. Sicarios, where you come first for your second. Welcome back to the program. As I was saying in the beginning of the program and as we went to the commercial break, these uh, these communists, these activists on shareholder boards and in elected positions and sitting on judges' benches are very persistent. They're very audacious, if nothing else. And they will keep hammering at things until they get the desired effect. And their desire is to disarm every man, woman, and child in America because we stand in the way of them taking over America. Again, they say, well, they'll start by saying these AR-15s are weapons of war, don't belong on our streets. And I counter with, they're not on our streets. They're unfortunately in the hands of scumbags who walk into gun-free zones where people are required by law to be ever-present victims and waiting for scumbags like this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're not on the streets. And besides, uh, we could use them for war if necessary if we have to defend ourselves against a marauding government or other large groups of evil, weird people. Okay. Uh, again, you've heard me say this, uh, they always go, oh, you really think that you're going to be able to fight the government with your AR-15? And I remind them, wait, you just called it a weapon of war. And besides that, I will tell you right now, I'm going to give you, I'm going to be bringing a, a, a story to light here in just a few minutes where uh, there's an old saying that it's not the size of the dog in the fight. It's the size of the fight in the dog. And if you don't believe me, simply look at Vietnam, look at Afghanistan when they fought Russia to a standstill, look at Afghanistan when they fought the United States to a standstill, and our Bolshevik president decided to gift them with billions and billions of dollars of highly lethal weaponry. Yeah, you can't tell me that was accidental. When you start gifting things to America's enemies, I'm sorry, you're giving aid and comfort to the enemy. That's an act of treason. You belong in prison for life. Actually, you belong in jail waiting for your turn on the gallows. Now, these people, I tell you, (laughs) I've got so many things running in my head right now, I can't get them all out. But these people, what they'll do often is they'll pass new laws to counter judicial rulings that have shot down laws they already had in place. And you remember that happened in the wake of Bruin. You remember New York did that. New Jersey did that. California did that. Also, they immediately began passing laws to counter the Bruin principle, the Bruin standard of text and history. And what they like to do is tie things up in lengthy litigation, lengthy court battles, and they always try to fatigue 
their opponents into submission. And that's look how many court battles are going on right now that are second amendment court battles. There's quite a few. And matter of fact, there's been a lot of rulings going against these totalitarians because of the Bruin standard of text and history. There's a, uh, there, there've been quite a few lawsuits coming out against these communist occupied territories, especially recently, uh, judges have been the good judges have been consistently applying the Bruin principle of text and history. And when they do that, these rulings come out correctly. Uh, first of all, let me explain something here. They, the standard is text and history text first history. Okay. What text, which text are you talking about? Well, the text of the second amendment, that's the first test. That's the first step. Okay. If you can show that your proposed gun safety legislation, gun control law, uh, actually stacks up against and is in compliance with the second amendment of the Supreme law of the land, then you have to show historical analogy there too or something that's analogous there too. In other words, show something that was around at the time of the pinning and the adoption of the second amendment in 1791, December 15th. Yeah, to be exact. Uh, and then you can proceed with your case. First of all, you're not going to find gun control laws around the time of 1791, Later in American history, there were laws against Bowie knives because people feared them very badly. Uh, the Bowie knives were a very feared weapon, especially in the hands of evil people, because in close quarters, the, that knife always won, even against a gun. Against a flintlock weapon, most people didn't have a chance. Even against later, the percussion cap uh, six shooters that came out, the Bowie knife was very formidable. In close quarters, that Bowie knife won. Well, I got news for you, even like today, in close quarters, the knife will win over the gun unless the, the person wielding the gun knows how to deliver a shot to immediately incapacitate their opponent. So there were no laws around that time, the time of the text. There was nothing throughout history that stood up against the Second Amendment as a gun control law. And these judges that have been upholding unlawful laws like the uh, assault weapons ban in Illinois and other places, uh, if you'll notice, and matter of fact, in ep episode number 578, I talked about this. I showed how those justices totally ignored the text portion and began looking for gun control laws that replicated the assault weapons ban. And they actually referenced the Bowie knife bans. Mm-hmm. But they forgot the text. What is the text? A well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of the free state, the right of the people to keep and bear arms, arms for war, shall not be infringed. That was a direct prohibition against the government. The only prohibition found in the Second Amendment, by the way, and it was against the government not against the people owning any particular type of weapon. 
And I'm not going to go through all my historical knowledge of all the people that owned cannons and bought their own ships and were commissioned by the United States in times of war. You've already, most of you out there have already done your homework on that. And you've heard me talk about it before anyway. Okay. Now, New York has been getting multiple judicial beatings lately where judges have been shooting down several of the laws they passed when they tried to counter a Bruin, the, the Bruin decision. Uh, you know, in their naked attempt to recover illegal power, they lost in that landmark ruling. Yeah. But what totalitarians and thugs and despotic governments cannot seem to understand is that every human being on the planet has the right to keep and bear arms, even if their country does not have said right encoded in their supreme law, like we do. Unfortunately, the aforementioned lawless creatures don't find this out until their intended victims decide that they're tired of being uh, intended victims and take up arm to do something about it. And this happened recently, like yesterday, in Mexico. We know Mexico is ruled by the drug cartels, and they probably, probably work hand-in-hand hand with the DEA and the ATF, too. But they messed around and found out. Mm-hmm. There's another term for that. I don't use it on this program. I try to, try to keep it rated G or PG at the least. But some Mexican drug cartel enforcers got to messing with a village full of pissed off farmers who decided they weren't going to take any more crap from La Familia, La Familia Mecuacana. And here's an article by Emily Brown. Farmers kill 10 cartel members, including the leader, as they decide to stick up for themselves. As many as 10 Mexican cartel members have been killed in a fight with local farmers after they shared new extortion demands. The violent clash took place in the small rural town of Texcaltlian. I can't pronounce that thing. I've tried it multiple times. Texcaltlian where farmers had already been paying La Familia Mequacana cartel for the use of the land in the area. The residents handed over one Mexican peso per square meter, that is around 60 cents per meter, for the land. But recently, the cartel declared they wanted twice as much cash from the farmers. In a phone interview with Vice, one of the local farmers commented, he said, we had a very bad year of harvest and we barely made enough money to pay the original extortion fee. With this increase, we basically had no choice but to die fighting or die from hunger. With little choice, Farmers decided to stick up for themselves and chose the die fighting option on the afternoon of December 8th. Okay. That's when this happened. It wasn't yesterday. Um, residents clashed with the cartel in the fight, which killed at least 14 people and injured seven others. Hey, I got news for you. 10 of those people that got killed were cartel members. Uh-huh. Yeah. Funny how this works. It's not the size of the dog in the fight. It's the size of the fight in the dog. Footage from the encounter showed residents and cartel members arriving at a local soccer field where farmers had agreed to meet the gang to deliver the money. In other words, they suckered them in. The group spoke for a few minutes before someone fired a gunshot and the scene quickly descended into chaos. Farmers armed with shotguns, machetes, and sticks 
went after the cartel members. Okay, did you catch that? What do you think the cartel members were armed with? That's right, fully automatic weapons. Sometimes they have fully automatic 50 cows mounted on top of their vehicles. But farmers, armed only with shotguns, machetes, and sticks. Yes, these were essentially insurgents because they were going after they were going against established authority that thought it was the rightful the rightful authority over these people does this sound familiar they went after the cartel members while four farmers were killed in the conflict the other 10 who died who 10 people who died were all members of la familia mequacana cartel among the dead was one cartel member named Rigoberto de la Sancha Santillan, also known as Comandante Payaso, in other words, Commander Clown, the alleged leader of La Fibilia in the region and the man believed to be behind the rise in the land fee. Well, see, that's the problem with totalitarians. Once you start giving them money, they think they can dip into your pocket anytime they want. Does this sound familiar? Is it Andre Andrade, chief of police of Mexico State, said of Santillan, he was a main target for us for his role in the criminal organization. We had several investigations going uh, ongoing to go after him. Well, why didn't you just hire the farmers? They did a pretty darn good job of it all by themselves. Besides that, with all the corruption in the local police departments, you would have arrested him. He'd have gone to jail and walked right out the back door. Don't tell me he wouldn't have. That's, this, this corruption has been going on for a long time. I guarantee you this action by these farmers with nothing more than shotguns, machetes, and sticks against fully automatic weapons is going to send ripples throughout the police forces and these cartels. Oh, I think there's going to be some retribution coming. So all of you people, all of the ones you killed out there, you farmers, I hope you took their weapons and their ammo. You're going to need it. The farmer who spoke with vice also claimed the farmers told the Mexican army this was going to happen, saying, we're not going to pay anymore. We asked for the backup and no one showed up. Why do you suppose no one showed up? You know good and well why nobody showed up. Because these police were afraid of the cartels while these farmers were not. This is a great story. I love this story. This speaks so many brilliant truths to all of us. That, hey, you either die on your feet or you die on your knees. I prefer to die on my feet fighting. That's what these farmers did with machetes, shotguns, and sticks against a bunch of bloodthirsty scumbags who are known to murder lots of people with fully automatic weapons. Some of them probably handed to them by the ATF. You're welcome. But then we have mugwumps here in America. I have the right to feel safe when I go to the store or the theater or the church. And what they mean is until everybody's guns are taken from their hands, I'm not going to feel safe. That's really what that translates into. Well, first of all, there's no such right mentioned anywhere in the Constitution. How safe someone feels is their responsibility. Why does, and I'm speaking to the gun control activists like little Davy Pig, uh, Hog, same thing, and all the other little mugwumps there who claim that their right to feel safe trumps my right to keep and bear arms. Bull fertilizer. 
Why does your alleged right to feel safe trump my right to actually be safe? Hmm? Tell that to the criminals who make society unsafe. Because we lawful, responsible keepers and bearers actually make society safer, not less safe. Why don't you just go ahead and stop slanderously accusing us of being the problem? We're not. If we were, you'd know all about it, I assure you. Your safety is your own responsibility, like these farmers knew and applied there in Mexico against known killers. Well, maybe we should adopt the same attitude here in the United States that I know many of us have. I don't, we, most of us don't care how big the United States government is. We've already decided you come trying to disarm us. You better be ready to fight. And it's a fight to the death at that point. Just like these farmers here in Mexico, at this point, we're going to either die on our feet or we're going to die on our, you know, on the ground, but we're not going to, we're not, we're not going to kneel for these people anymore. We're not going to grovel for them. We're not going to keep paying all this money and go broke and starve just to satisfy the greed of a powerful cartel. We need to adopt the same attitude. Remember, these people are very persistent. They're audacious. They're going to keep throwing things against the wall. I tell them one and all, you better heed this story about these farmers because those farmers are us, and we don't just have shotguns, machetes, and sharpened sticks. We've got a lot of fine weaponry, and it's obvious that you fear that weaponry because you have plans to go against us aggressively. That's right. You absolutely do. And that's why you fear our weapons, and that's why you want to take them from us. Don't try to tell me any differently. Catch on the next episode. Keep in contact with your reps. Make consistent monthly donations to all of these groups, GOA, uh, uh, the Second Amendment Foundation, Firearms Policy Coalition. These guys are fighting their butts off for you. Help fill their coffers to pay their court fees, attorney's fees, and everything else. Keep a loaded firearm on your person at all times. Make sure you have a good trauma kit also. Uh, make sure that trauma kit includes Narcan. And never forget, incoming rounds always have the right of way. Royce out. Second Amendment University, class dismissed.